Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. Good morning and thank you for being here. It's so nice to have you. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, the fourth Sunday of Advent. And of course, Advent is the preparation, anticipation, and the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came over 2,000 years ago, that he's with us today, and that he's coming back and soon. And so, Advent is all about the celebration of that and the celebration that Christ is true to his word and that he is indeed coming. Years ago, before most people could read or there were Bibles that went around to every person, there were lots of Christian symbols that were used to remind people of the deeper truths than those symbols. And so, the Advent wreath was one of those things. It's in a circular configuration because of the never-ending love of God. In the center of the Advent candle is the Christ candle. And then around each one of those is an attribute of the preparation that we have to serve the Lord. And so, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, uh, we had, uh, see if I can get this lit, good. We lit the first candle, that is the candle of hope, that Jesus is the hope of the whole world, that is the coming of Christ and his foretold coming came to pass, and as a result of that coming to pass, he gave us hope. Hope that we could be somehow brought back into the family of God. And so, Jesus is our hope. The second week, we talked about peace. That Jesus is our peace. That without Jesus, there is no peace. It's Jesus who made peace between us and God. We were at enmity with God. We were away from him. We were rebellious towards him. And because of sin, we were broken and set apart. But God, in his great mercy and his great love, reached out to us, and he brought us peace. In the world, Jesus said, you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. With me, you have peace. The third candle was last week. It is the candle of joy. And Pastor Joyful himself preached on this, did a very good job really talking about really the joy that Christ... Because moving from uh, hope and peace into joy really marks the change from preparing ourselves through fasting, through preparing our hearts for the Lord, to really celebrating the Lord. And today, we light the last candle in the Advent series, and that is the candle of love. It is the angel's candle. And, um, and so, we want to take a look today as we light the love candle and reflect upon the love of Christ. So, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this moment that we have to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, that we would know you, that you would reveal the great love that you have for us. And Lord, that we could be changed by your grace, by your power by your unconditional love, and that we would share that with others. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and ask them this question. What is love? What is love? What is love? For since the beginning of time, theologians, philosophers, pastors, 
parents, teachers, children, we've all wrestled with this question from really the beginning of humanity. What is love? I was just thinking about that this morning, you know, is that uh, yesterday the Minnesota Vikings overcame a 33 to nothing deficit at halftime and won 39 to 36. Matthew Rowland loves the Minnesota Vikings, but that's not the kind of love I'm talking about today. <laughs> he loves the Vikings. I mean, this is a time of year where, you know, we, people send us candy and cookies and cakes, and man, I love all that stuff, but that's not the kind of love we're talking about. You know, uh, I love my children, and that even though that's getting close to the, what we're talking about today, it's not exactly what we're talking about today. We're talking about, really, the love that Christ has for us, the love that God has for us. In the New King James Version of the Bible, that's the one I use, Bible mentions the English word love 686 times. That's almost one time every other page of the Bible. That's pretty amazing. Uh, in the New Testament, it uh, mentions the word love 261 times. 39 times in the Gospel of John and in his companion book, 1 John, 27 times. Paul writes to the Romans, uh, the great letter to the Romans, and in that he mentions love 18 times. And then 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, uh, 17 times each. And so love is a main focus of the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, and when it talks about love. The Greek language, which we get our English translation from, the Greek language mentions several different kinds of love. You know, we say we love popcorn. Well, they have a word for that. It's not love. It's another word. We say we love... Uh, you know, um, Christmas time. Well, it's, they have another word for that. So, one of the words that they have, I love my girlfriend, uh, and my girlfriend's been my girlfriend for 38 years now, and I love her, and uh, that uh, is the Eros love. I'm attracted to her sensually. How about that? Put that in your hat, right? <laughs> yeah, and she, look, she's overcome by me. I mean, she got, hardly sat there. Eros, that's called eros love. And, uh, and so, eros love is another word for love, but it's not what we're talking about today. Philia love. Philia love is the affectionate love that brothers have one to another, brothers and sisters have one to another. Uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Uh, why? Because Philadelphia, at, at its root, has the word philios or philia, and it's brotherly love. Storge love is uh, love and affection between children and their parents. But what we want to look at today is a kind of love called agape love. Agape love. Agape love is the unconditional love of God. That God loves you without a condition. You don't have to straighten up for him to love you. You don't have to get right for him to... He loves you just like you are. He loves you what you brought in here today. He loves you. And so, agape love is the unconditional love of God, the kind of love that lays its life down for another. Agape love. It's this agape love that I want us to reflect on today and to talk about. And, 
you know, with 261 mission, mentions in the New Testament, we could talk a long time about love in here. But I want to give you three little simple thoughts, three things that you can take with you when you leave today. The first thought is this, is that God loves us. God's love loves us. We've lit the love candle here today, and we're reflecting on and thinking about the love of Christ. And the first great truth about the love of Christ for me is the fact that God loves me. He loves me when I'm not doing anything to make him love me or to get him to love me. He just loves me. He loves me. In fact, he loves me even when I'm not trying to get him to love me. Even when I'm in rebellion towards him, he still loves me. He still loves me. We know this from John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so... For God so... For God so... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe upon him would have life and have it eternally. And so God's motive in even having any kind of relationship with all, us at all is that he loves the whole world. He loves every person in the world, even those ones that don't love him back. He loves them. Second part of that verse, verse 17, says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God came on a rescue mission, a rescue mission to earth, knowing that it would cost him his life to save us, knowing that he was going to die in our stead and in our place. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. And so God loves us because that is his motivation in reaching out to us, is that he loves us. Not because you're doing everything right. Not because you are more righteous than someone else. Not because you've had a turn of heart and now you're sort of turning back to him. None of those reasons. He loves you just because he loves you. He loves you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 show this even more. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Now, all of you know people that are, have heard of people or have watched Elon Musk. You know people that have a lot of money. I mean, they have a lot of money. We call them rich sometimes. Well, the Bible says that God is rich in something. What is he rich in? He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And so, he has mercy to cover all of our indiscretions. He has mercy to cover all of our weaknesses. He has plenty of mercy to cover all of our bad behavior. He has plenty of mercy to cover all of the ways that we've rebelled and put him off. He's got mercy. So, it says, God, who's rich in mercy, why is he rich in mercy? It's because of his great love with which he loved us. So he's got a stockpile, a stockpile that will never run dry of mercy. And with that mercy, okay, he feels the great love that he has for us. The Bible says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. 
One of the things that I marvel about just being in my position is standing here with you today. I grew up in a little town, Hickory Valley, Tennessee. Seventy-five people grew up there. That was it. That was the population, 75. That was it. And, and for me, uh, one of the biggest trips that we ever took was going to Florida one year for our, for our vacation. And so to me, I'm absolutely overcome sometimes of how God has brought us together in this room today. He's brought us together. Maybe this is your first time to ever be here. Maybe you came to see your uh, niece, nephew, grandson, granddaughter, daughter, son. Maybe you came, but you find yourself in here today. And I just would say this. It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident here because God, who is rich in mercy, extended you and me some mercy today so that we could be together because he loves us, because he loves us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, even then when we were just absolutely covered up with sin, he made us alive, how? Together in Christ Jesus. And so what is the reason? Why would he be rich in mercy towards us? Why would he have his great love with which he loved us? How is it that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he still called us his own, he still loved us? It brings us to the last thought about God loving us. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Not God was love. Not God will be love. But God is love. He is love. And so, therefore, every action that he takes, every word that he shares, every demonstrable thing that he did for us was done in love because he is love. God is love. He cannot betray his nature. Because he is love, he's incapable of hate. Because he is love. He's not going to be indifferent towards you. you. You never reach a place in your life where you're just static, right? You're just there. You're either growing in your relationship with God or you're receding in your relationship with God. There's no static spot. And therefore, there is no premium because you've walked longer than your neighbor has with God. The question is, are you walking with him today? Are you walking with him now? Because God is love. That is his nature. That is his character. That's what's in him. That's who he is. That's how he responds, acts towards you in love. In love. For God is love. So the first simple thought on the love of God is that God loves us. He loves us. The second thought is this, is that God doesn't just say that he loves us and then retreat back to heaven and let you take care of it. No, God says that he loves us, and then he demonstrates it. He demonstrates it. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes about this, verse 6. He says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Growing up in the South, uh, my parents were Methodists, and so I went to the Methodist church all my life. I was thinking when the kids earlier, when they were up here singing, that we had an elementary school choir. We had a junior high choir. We had a junior and senior high choir. And, uh, and then we had a regular choir. 
at uh, Bolivar First United Methodist Church. That was the county seat. And so I grew up going to church on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, and on Wednesday night. I, I sang in those choirs, even though I can't sing, I don't sing. We, be, not being in the choir was not an option. That was not an option. You're in it. And, uh, and so, so when it got to be about 16, uh, one of the pastors that we had decided that we we're going to have a youth Sunday. And on this particular Sunday, the youth are going to be the choir. The youth are going to play the instruments. The youth are going to be the ushers. The youth are going to be the Sunday school teachers. And the youth, one youth, is going to be picked to be the pastor and bring the message. Guess who that was? That was on a Sunday morning. I was 16, about to be 17 years old. The night before, I drank till I was almost drunk and got in a fight and almost got arrested. But that next morning, <laughs> praise the Lord, I'm here. And what's interesting about that is that when we were still without strength to save ourselves in due time, Christ died for me, the ungodly. He died for you. There was nothing godly about the way I carried on my life as a, as a young high school kid. I, I, I was ungodly. But... The joy this morning, as I said, is to know that even when I was rebelling against God, doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, being involved with people I shouldn't have been involved in, Christ still loved me. And he demonstrated his love that he had for me, that he died for the ungodly. For scarcely, verse 7 says, for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. So he's saying here, hey, if you're really a great character, you know, maybe for a righteous person you would die, but maybe for a good, really a good person, maybe you would take a bullet for him. This is different than God because verse 8 says, for God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were kicking against him, rebelling against him, going our own way, doing our own thing, actively mocking God, he still died for you. He still gave his life for you because that's how he demonstrated the love that he had for us, by dying for us when we were sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John writes about this. He says in 1 John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was manifest towards us. That means that God demonstrated his love. The love of God was demonstrated towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is the same John that wrote the book of John where we get John three sixteen for God so loved the world. So now in this companion book of 1 John, he's sort of reiterating this whole thing. He says that the love of God was manifest towards us, demonstrated for us, and that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, in this is love. So here comes a little definition for us in love. In this is love. In this, what does that mean? In this verse before, okay, in the verse before, he's talking about love, the kind of love that God has by sending his son 
to give his life for us. And then in verse 10, he says, in this is love. This is what love is, sending his son to give his life for us. Not that we love God, not because we were so righteous and loving God. No, it wasn't for that, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, that word propitiation really means the atoning sacrifice the atoning sacrifice. Jesus' sacrificial death appeased God's wrath toward sin. And he took that wrath out on Jesus instead of us, the ones who were actually doing the sinning. And Jesus' sacrifice assures us that God is no longer angry with us, but loves us. He loves us because he sent his son to give us life. 1 John 4, 11 puts it this way, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since we have received this love, we also ought to share it with other people. Now, here's the thing. You cannot share the love of God unless you've received it. You may know a lot about God. You may uh, know a lot about Him. may know a lot about the Bible. You may have been going to church most of your life, some of your life. Maybe you went to vacation Bible school when you were a kid. Maybe you went to a church where you just kind of, you know, sat and didn't really know what much was going on. None of that helps us because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's no value in our self-righteousness. Our value comes from the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There was an exchange made when Jesus made his sacrificial death for He sacrificed himself. What did he do? He exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And when we receive the love that he's, the unconditional love of Christ, we're born again by the Spirit of God. We're changed. We're different. Our nature changes, and we become like him. So it's not just a mental assent of, you know, yes, I believe Jesus. Yes, I believe he was the Son of God. Yes, I believe that he gave his life for mankind. But it has to be personalized to you that he gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. And some of us, you know, mistakenly believe that we can get along fine on earth if we just have a good opinion of Jesus and still go the way we want to go, doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, where we want to do it, and playing the hypocrite in the middle of it. But Jesus died. His atoning sacrifice for our sins assured us that God has brought us into his family. That's what the propitiation means. 1 John 4, 11 says, then if God then loved us this way, gave his life for us, we ought to share that love with others. Share that love with others. And you can only share it if you've received it. So the second big idea is that God demonstrates his love for us. He doesn't just say it in word, but he did it indeed. Make sense? Third point. Third idea about God's love today is nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he names some candidates. Here's some candidates for you. Uh, Shall tribulation, that's a candidate. Can that separate us from the love of God? How about distress? 
Can distress separate us from the love of God? Or maybe persecution. Maybe that can separate us from the Or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword. Can any of those things separate us from the love of God? Jump down to verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul writes, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Absolutely nothing. The apostle Peter was arguably one of Jesus' best friends when he was here on earth. He followed him from nearly day one of his ministry. But when Jesus, the week of his crucifixion, was led up to the house of Caiaphas, in that moment, Peter followed behind. And he warmed himself in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And as he warmed himself there in the courtyard of Caiaphas, across from him, the fireplace, was a servant girl. And she said to him, I recognize you. You're one of the followers of Jesus. To which Peter adamantly denied and even cursed her and cursed Christ. You would think at the big moment, ground zero moment of Jesus' life, I mean the moment where he's fixing to be crucified, where he's going to be tortured and beaten that his best friend might say, hey, I'll go with you. In fact, just a few hours before, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus said, we'll see. We'll see. But here's my big point. Even though, Jesus, even though Peter forsook him and Peter let him go down that road by himself, he was never separated from the love of God. Jesus knew what he was going to do before he ever did it and still loved him. Still loved him. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. So here's what we've learned today. Here's what you can take out of here, and here's what you can think about as you're uh, watching the Cowboys in a few minutes. Number one is God loves you. I don't care what you did, what you're doing, what you're going to do. He loves you. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences to sin. There are consequences to our action. There are consequences to sin. But in none of that will he ever forsake you or leave you. He loves you. He loves you. Secondly, is that God demonstrates his love for us through Jesus, his sacrifice. He didn't just say that he loved us and left us alone, went back up to heaven where everything was cool, streets made of gold, angels waiting on him left and right. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He said that he loved us, and then he demonstrated it. And he demonstrated it. And third, third idea about God's love is that nothing can separate us from it. Nothing. You know, the psalmist says that you might even go down to the depths of hell, but when I get down there, he's still there. He got there before I did, waiting on me. So he could somehow bring us back. See, that's his heart. It's, it's like the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son. After he gives him half of the inheritance and the kid wastes and squanders it all, 
the son never, the father never quit loving the son. In fact, the Bible says that he stood on the front porch of eternity, watching, waiting, hoping, believing for the moment that that son would turn his heart to him. That may be where you are today. Time to turn your heart back home. Time to turn your heart back to Jesus. Paul has several apostolic prayers throughout the New Testament, particularly in his writings. And the one in Ephesians 3 is one of my favorites. Verse 17 says, praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounding, grounded in love. So first of all, that Christ would dwell in us by faith. This religion we belong to, Christianity, only operates by faith. That Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. And that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And that means that we would be planted in the love of God. That's his prayer for us. And then he goes on to say that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height. That is, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now, think about that just a minute. There's four dimensions to God's love. It's a width, it's a length, a depth, and a height. And those four dimensions of his love, he says, my prayer is that you would know that. That word know there is an intimate knowing. It, it is not, not just a knowledge of, but it's also the experience of. So that you would have the experience of and the, not, with the knowledge of, you would have that to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It's greater than knowledge. It goes beyond knowledge. When you say, I know the Lord, you're not just saying I know about him. You're not just saying that I read the Bible. You're not just saying I go to a Bible study. You're not just saying I'm in a small group. You're saying that I've experienced God. And maturity is, is that we grow in that experience that it expands inside of us, and we grow in it. So that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the apostles' desire for us, that they see you, but it's not the same you. Something's different. What's different? You've been filled with the knowledge and the experience of knowing God, of knowing God. I want to end up with something that Billy Graham said 70 years ago. He said this. He said, the love of Christ is four-dimensional. He said, first, God's love is wide. It's wide. There's room for every human on the planet. His arms are wide enough to include every human on the planet. His love is wide enough to include all creation. God's love is wide. Secondly, God's love is long. It's long. What do I mean by that? It extends from eternity past all the way into eternity in the future. It moves from eternity to eternity. That's how long it is. Third is that God's love is deep. No matter how far you're mired in the depth of hell, in the depth of despair, in the depth of emotional pain, in the depth of want, 
no matter how far you're down, God's love is deeper. He came to earth to rescue humanity, but he also came to rescue you and me. And finally, God's love is high. There's nothing in creation that's higher than the throne of God. Nothing. Nothing. It's the highest height that you can get, the throne room of God. But the Bible here makes it clear that God's love is high. It's so high that it makes a way for me and you to come right into the presence of God in his throne room. That's how cool it is. You see, when Jesus died, the veil ripped from top to bottom. And what was exposed behind that veil of the temple was the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And God's presence is available for you and for me. That's how great His love is. You know, you don't have to go to an intermediary to get permission to see the Lord. When you're born again, you're His child, you can walk straight into the throne room, right up to the banquet table, and find your seat there. Because why? Because He loves you. God loves you. God demonstrates his love towards you by Jesus sacrificing his life for you. Sacrifice his life for you. And there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from that love. Is that good or what? Let's all stand together. If you will, just bow your heads. Been a great morning. Been an awesome time. Got an awesome week headed here this week. I want to just remind you that we have a Christmas Eve service. If you just put your five, your hand up with your five fingers there, four fingers and a thumb, that means it's five o'clock is what time it starts. Okay, five o'clock. On Saturday, we have a beautiful Christmas Eve so candlelight service for you. You'll be out in plenty of time to finish your shopping or go home and have dinner or meet people for dinner. And so that's on Saturday night at five o'clock. Sunday morning is Christmas morning. We've prepared a special Christmas worship service online. And so you can watch that on Sunday. Just, just come to our website and you can watch it there. And so I think you'll, you'll love it. It's all of us and it's pretty amazing. Bow your heads where you close your eyes. If you're here today and you've been running from the love of God and you're ready to stop and turn, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand wherever you are. I'm ready to turn back to God. That's me. Raise your hand as high as you can. Come on, I see you back there. Yes, sir. See anybody else? Anybody upstairs? Yep. Anybody here on my left? I'm ready to come back to the love of God. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I just, if you make that declaration in your heart this morning, I'm just going to pray with you and for you. I see you, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. You may put your hands down, please. I want you to pray with me, all of us together, and particularly you who raised your hands. I want you to say this, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. And Lord, that you demonstrated your love toward me by sacrificing your only son for my sin. Today I turn turn back to you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. 
change me. Lord, I thank you that you're rich in mercy. And I thank you, Lord, that your love is unconditional. Everybody said amen. You glad you came today? Give somebody a high five. Give them a hug. Tell them you're glad to see them today. You love them. Yeah, and I'll see you Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.